words. For I know that the Lord is great, and that our Lord is above all gods. There is something very appropriate about looking at Psalm 135 today. It's a psalm which is associated with the return of God's people from the exile in Babylon. It's associated with the people of God returning to Jerusalem and resuming their public worship. And today, in a sense, we, we repeat history in a far smaller way, of course. Their exile was 70 years. Our exile has been a mere 15 weeks. In their cases, it was hundreds of thousands who left and tens of thousands who came back. In our case, it was maybe dozens who left and a few dozen, a couple of dozen, who have come back this morning. But it's a fitting psalm to mark such an occasion as this. And in other ways, it's a very fitting post-exile psalm. What kind of psalm is it? Well, we might call it a cut-and-paste psalm. Every single verse in this psalm is identical to, or very close to, another verse in the psalms or elsewhere in the Old Testament. It's almost as though the people of God came back to Jerusalem after the exile, and they began to say to each other, what shall we sing? Which of our favorite psalms and hymns and songs that we used to sing, shall we sing now that we are back? Because as Psalm 137 goes on to say later on, how can we sing the Lord's song in a strange land? We couldn't sing the song of the Lord when we were by the rivers of Babylon, but we can now. And so let's pull together all the verses of the songs and psalms we've sung and sing them now. And in our case, of course, in some senses, we are still exiled as God's people in a very real way. We are in a strange land. I'd rather be down there. I'd rather you were down there. Hopefully before long we will all be down there, unless it's too full for you all to be down there. And some will be up there. That would be better, wouldn't it? But we're in a strange land. We're not yet singing, but we hope that one day we will sing before very long. And yet, we have just declared these words of verse 5 with our own voices. And we're going to look especially at verse 5 this morning. For I know that the Lord is great, and that our Lord is above all gods. Why this verse? Because there is one great, supreme, overriding need that we all have at the moment. It's my great need, and it's your great need. It's the great need of the older people here. It's the great need of the younger people who are here. It's the great need of the people inside this building 
and the great need of the vastly greater numbers outside this building. It's the great need of those who call themselves Christians and of those who do not. It is the great need of the rulers of this nation and of every nation. It is the great need of all the people of this nation and of people everywhere across this whole world. And what is this great need that we all have? What should we be doing? Well, it's this, that we might say these words of Psalm 135 and verse 5 and know what they mean and believe them from our hearts and live them out What words are they again? Psalm 135 and verse 5. For I know that the Lord is great and that our Lord is above all gods. Why? Why should we say these words? Three reasons. First reason. Because the Lord has chosen us that we might say that he is great. Who are we? And why are we here? Why have we come to this place this morning? We have come here, and we have come together for the first time in nearly four months for this reason. To praise the name of the Lord. To say that the Lord is great and he is above all gods. And the first four verses of this psalm make this point emphatically time and time again. You can count in your own time how many times the word Lord appears. And count how many times the word praise appears. What is it that defines these people? It is that they praise the Lord. They praise the name of the Lord. They say again and again that the Lord is great. This is what defined the people of God in the Old Testament. And this is what defines the people of God in the New Testament. And this is what defines the people of God here at Grove Chapel. Who are you? Who am I? What are we? We are those who stand in the house of the Lord, in the courts of the house of our God, and we praise his name. And you'll say, and you would be right, of course, this building, old and beautiful and venerable and loved as it is, is not the house of the Lord in the same way as the temple in Jerusalem was the house of the Lord. And yet, as the congregated church of God, as a company of people physically gathering together, we are by the grace of God, by the sovereign choice of God, we are the people for his own possession. That's what it says in verse 4, for the Lord has chosen Jacob for himself. Israel as his own possession. The Lord God chose Israel out of all the nations to be his very own people. A people 
to whom he was absolutely determined to show his love, his mercy, his gracious salvation. And who are we in this place and who are others gathering in churches today all over the world? Who are they? What are they doing? We are that new, true, fulfilled Israel. We did not choose our God, but he chose us. What characterizes us? What defines us? What identifies us? What is our identity above everything else? It's that God has chosen us. It's that Almighty God has called us to be his holy nation, to be his chosen people, to be a royal priesthood, a people for his own possession. And let me say this, this calling, this identity, it transcends, it overrides everything else. What have we seen, friends, brothers and sisters, over the last three or four months? What have we seen happening over this long time of exile? We have seen more and more that we are living in divisive, factious, sectarian times. The world has become a more divided, suspicious, hostile, tribal place since we last gathered here. We're living in days of so-called identity politics. Maybe you know the musical, it's been out for a few years now, The Greatest Showman. And one of the songs in that musical, loved by so many, is, has the title, uh, This Is Me. This Is Me. And that could become the slogan for 2020 and for our world today. This is me. Look at me. Let me tell you all about me because I'm concerned about making you know all about me and who I am. And we need to say together and have our minds challenged on this and say why are we here and what are we here for and what will we be here for? And the answer is this. We are called to rise above this is me and say instead this is the Lord look at the Lord let me tell you all about the Lord because this is me only leads to people breaking apart and falling out and splintering and dividing and hating each other but this is the Lord alone brings people together That's why the Bible says that among the people of the Lord there is no slave nor free. There is no Jew nor Gentile. There is no male nor female. There is no Greek nor barbarian nor Scythian nor any race or ethnicity among the people of God. It doesn't mean that these things cease to exist. Of course they do. We continue to be male and female and have different backgrounds and languages and ethnic origins and all the rest of it. But the point is that these distinctions, they fade into the background. 
when we realize and understand that far above and beyond all of that is the sense that we are the people of God. This is our identity. We are here to worship and praise him. We are here to say that our God is great. That our Savior Jesus Christ and his love and his compassion are very great. More about that later on. He is God. He is great creator. He is redeemer. We are part of that worldwide congregation of all the ages who declare together, for I know, for we know that the Lord is great and that our Lord is above all gods. It's the first reason that we say together that the Lord is great. The second reason is this. Because the Lord is great and he does what he pleases. Why do we say the Lord is great? Because the Lord is great and he does what he pleases. Look at verse 6. Whatever the Lord pleases, he does in heaven and on earth, in the seas and all deeps. The God whose name we praise is the sovereign God. Everything is done in his own pleasure, in his own way, in his own time, for his own purposes. He is altogether free. He needs to ask no one else's permission to do anything. He doesn't need to wait and see how events will turn out before he embarks on a course of action. It says in Isaiah 40, verses 13 and 14, Who has measured the Spirit of the Lord? Or what man shows him his counsel? Whom did he consult? Who made him understand? Who taught him the path of justice and taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding. And the answer to all these questions, all of these rhetorical questions is, of course, no one but no one but absolutely no one ever taught God anything or showed him anything or allowed him to do anything. If Almighty God had to consult some other authority before creating or before redeeming, before saving a people like us, if he had to ask our permission to save us or anybody else's, he would no longer be God. But he is God. He's above all. He does what he pleases. And we see in this psalm how all this plays out as far as the people of God in the Old Testament were concerned. Look at verses 8 to 12. They look back over their history. They remember that God did what he pleased among the kings and the nations of the earth. Pharaoh and all his servants, it says in verse 9. Who were they? <laughs> they thought that they had the people of Israel under their thumb and in the palms of their hands. 
Pharaoh, time and again, hardens his heart, says, I'm not going to let you go. I'm going to show that I and the people of Egypt and the gods of Egypt are much bigger and stronger than you and your God. But you know what happened, don't you? Episode follows episode until in the end, the horses and chariots and soldiers of Pharaoh are buried beneath the waters of the Red Sea. It pleased God to do that. It pleased God to do that. It pleased God that the walls of Jericho should fall down flat without anybody from the armies of Israel pushing with any weapon or anything like that against those walls. It pleased God that a little army of 300 people in the days of Gideon should defeat the vastly larger Midianite army It pleased God. God did these things. It pleased God. It was God's decision, God's sovereign pleasure, that a little lad called David with his sling and his stones should knock down a nine-foot Philistine giant called Goliath. It pleased God to do all of these things. To God alone is praise and glory. Only God, he gets the victory. Look at verses 15 to 18. Those verses are lifted out of Psalm 115, a psalm that God's people would have sung when they gathered at the Passover feast. One of the great halal, or praise, not halal, wrong choice of word, halal, important correction, (laughs) halal psalms. Praising God. Who are the idols of the nations? Who is like the Lord our God? You think of that scene in the book of Samuel where the Philistine god Dagon is repeatedly found lying down flat and broken and crushed and impotent in his own little temple. Why? Because he's no God at all, that's why. Because our God is greater. There is no God like our God. The God of Israel is God of the whole earth. And all other so-called gods are nothing and less than nothing in his sight. Whatever the Lord pleases, he does. It has pleased the Lord to bring a devastating virus upon the whole earth. It is by the sovereign will of Almighty God that COVID-19 has swept the globe God himself called for it. He was not taken by surprise or taken unawares. He didn't ask somebody's permission to let this happen. He didn't write to Public Health England and ask if they would mind awfully if he could let a virus come and test out the capacity of the NHS. He didn't write to Matt Hancock or Boris Johnson and say, please may I bring a virus in this world and see how your health system copes. Of course not. 
It was no accident. The Lord brought this upon the earth by his own will, for his own purpose, for his own pleasure. And it will please the Lord, it will please the Lord to remove this virus from the earth at the time of his choosing. We do what we can and we are as vigilant as we ought to be as we can see here this morning. And we are right and responsible to take measures such as these. But the idea that little human beings like you and me can, as they say, control the virus, control the virus, is about as likely as King Canute sitting on the shores of the sea and telling the waves to go back when the tide is coming in. It's about as likely as you or me saying, I want the earth to go round the sun in a different direction. This is the sovereign pleasure of God that these things are brought upon the world. And we need to come back and say that. I fancy that back in March, when we were here in mid-March, we were saying that rather more than we've begun to say now. We started to think even as Christians as if we can control this virus, but we can't. It will go when God determines and not when we want it to. It may come back at God's bidding. It may not come back. It will be at the pleasure of the sovereign Lord and we need to see that. But my friends, my brothers and sisters, I don't want to talk about that anymore. I want to do what this psalm does. And I want to ask a final question. Why do we say that the Lord is great? Third answer. The Lord is great in his compassion on his people. And in the middle of this psalm in verse 14, we read this verse. Verse 14, for the Lord will vindicate his people and have compassion on his servants. What's the big picture, God? Lord, what's your overarching aim? What's what's the big idea? What's the Lord doing in this world? What's the main thing that God wants us to remember him for and praise him for? What's it all about? We're told here, the Lord will vindicate his people and God will have compassion on his servants. Our God has a heart that is overflowing with compassion and pity and mercy and grace. He has a great plan and purpose of salvation which he will unfailingly execute and unfailingly bring to perfect completion moved by compassion and pity and mercy three and nearly four months of lockdown and isolation have resulted in a great deal of uncertainty 
and gloom and depression and misery for many, many people. And as God's people, we are not exempted from this. And as a pastor of the flock of God, and as myself, a needy sheep who needs pastoring himself, I'm well aware of this. But today we're drawn to this verse which reminds us that God will have compassion on his servants. And I ask you this morning, what is the measure of this compassion? How big is this compassion? How great is this compassion? And the answer is that this compassion is as large and great and big and overwhelming and vast as the Lord himself is great. It's a compassion which is godlike and divine, majestic and eternal in its scope. And you and I, my friends, we need to realize afresh how great the compassion of God is. I do. We all do. Let me put it like this. This is a psalm for returning exiles. And when the exiles returned from Babylon and from the regions beyond the river back to Jerusalem, many of them were filled with a sense of godly nostalgia. They wanted to go back. They wanted to go home. They wanted to see Jerusalem again. And among them were many old, old men. We read about them in the book of Ezra, chapter 3, verse 12 and 13. We read that many of the priests and the Levites and heads of fathers' houses, old men who had seen the first house, wept with a loud voice when they saw the foundation of this house being laid. Though many shouted aloud for joy, so that the people could not distinguish the sound of the joyful shout from the sound of the people's weeping. For the people shouted with a great shout, and the sound was heard far away. You know, they came back. There would have been men in their 70s, 80s, and 90s who as young lads would have said, you know, we remember back to the days of uh, Josiah and Jehoiakim and these others, and we remember seeing the first temple, the one that Solomon built and we're coming back now and it's all gone but there's a foundation being laid. Oh, what conflicting emotions we have. We, we're back at home but it looks so different and so new and so strange. We're glad and we're sorrowful at the same time but we, we have expectations, they would have said. Oh, we, we, we look forward to another temple being built. It might be like Solomon's temple again. It might be that we'll have another Solomon and another David, that the glory days of those great kings will come back. Oh, we can't wait for that. Now, friends, we might come back here today and say, oh, the Lord has dealt a great blow on Grove Chapel, on every church of God in these last months. Every church of God has had to retreat into exile for four months, and now they're coming back in dribs and drabs. But maybe, 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 maybe something like what we've known in the past is going to happen. 
Maybe we can dare in a year or two, we'll have the 80 or 90 we had here uh, back in February and March. We'll have things up and running like we did back last year. That would be great, wouldn't it? And do you know what the Lord said to his people when they came back to the land? Do you know what he said to them? He raised up prophets like Zechariah and Haggai. And through Haggai, the Lord said this, the latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former. The glory to come for this house will be greater than it ever was before. What does that mean? What did it mean then? Something like this. You're coming back to Jerusalem and you're looking forward to being a nation again and having kings and priests and a temple all over again. But something greater will happen. God's people from all tribes and all nations and all languages will fill the earth. A multitude drawn from every nation on earth will be praising the name of God. You want a king. You want a son of David and of Josiah to be raised up again, to sit on a a throne in Jerusalem, to be like the old days. But I tell you this, there's a greater glory to come. There will be one Lord and King over you who will be the Son of God himself. The Lord Jesus Christ, the eternal God, will be your King. And you want to have more years and maybe more centuries of peace and prosperity and stability and all of these things that people long for. But I tell you this, says the Lord, there'll be more than you would believe if I were to tell you. There will be everlasting mercy. There will be the full, free, entire, permanent forgiveness of all your sins. I will make you into new people. I will give you new hearts. I will fill you with my spirit. I will do things that would make you gasp in awe and wonder. I will give you a new heart of love for God and for one another. The greater works that you you, you haven't seen them yet. You just want to go back to how it was before. Well, I've got greater plans for you, says the Lord. And it's at times like this that the words we're looking at today in verse 5 of Psalm 135 need to be taken and, as it were, enlarged, projected onto a huge wall, onto the sky. For I know that the Lord is great and that our Lord is above all gods. May the Lord have compassion on his people here at Grove Chapel. Now let's just say this. Here's something for which we should give thanks and will give thanks today. Not one member of this congregation has been lost through COVID-19. The Lord is with his people. But let's pray that he goes on showing compassion to us. And what I might want and what you might want and what we might say are our wildest dreams, they don't go far enough, do they, really? 
Whatever I say to you this morning is it's just little child's play compared to what the Lord might actually do here. What, what would I say? May it please the Lord to maintain his people meeting here on his day and other days too for all the weeks and months and years which lie ahead. May the Lord do this. May the power of God's Holy Spirit be in us and with us, giving us a new love for him and for one another. May we all hear the voice of the Lord and grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. May the gospel May our whole lives go out into this community around us and may many more people come and join with us. May restrictions be lifted so that one day soon we can have a full chapel of people. May the children here not only grow up to be men and women of God, but one day bring their own children and grandchildren to a place like this and say, the Lord is with these people. We know that he is great. Our Lord is above all gods. Just one final observation before I'm done. The first words of the psalm Praise the Lord. Three words in English and one word in Hebrew. And our beloved brother who would sit on that chair if he were here would no doubt be saying today in response to that, that one Hebrew word which is, anyone know? Hallelujah. You can say it. You can say it, brothers and sisters. Don't be ashamed to say hallelujah. No one's going to stop you. I'm not going to stop you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. God is great. Praise the Lord. Amen. One word. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. And I could have chosen one of a number of hallelujah psalms. The ultimate one being the last one of all. Maybe you've sung that song before, that chorus. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Praise ye the Lord. Hallelujah means let us praise, let us praise, let us praise. Let us praise the Lord. And what do we learn from this? The reason we live. The reason we exist. Is to praise the Lord. To cry hallelujah. To live and to breathe, hallelujah. Yes, to breathe, hallelujah. Let everything that has breath, hallelujah, the Lord. We are the people of God. The church of God. A people for his own possession. The people that God has been graciously pleased in his compassion and power to gather, to save, 
to show his mercy, to show his salvation, to redeem us by the life and death and resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ, to give us forgiveness of sins and everlasting life in his own presence. And on account of all these things, we say hallelujah, praise the Lord. For we know that the Lord is great. And our Lord is above all gods. And he's with us and will continue with us. Let us pray. O Lord our God, let this day be in your eyes an Ebenezer, a stone, a rock of help, a landmark in the years of this place where your people gather, where we return and we cry with our hearts and with our minds, praise the Lord, hallelujah, for I know that the Lord is great and that our Lord is above all gods. This is true. Let your people say it and know it. Gracious Heavenly Father, have mercy on your people here. Give us boldness, give us wisdom, give us grace, give us joy, give us hope. Let us see you, O Lord, God of the whole earth, God and Lord of the church of God, coming and visiting us again at the time like this in power and authority and showing your glory here leading people to see that you are a God who is greater than all the gods around us. Oh, Lord God, we worship you. We pray, Father in heaven, that you would have compassion. We pray that we would see, oh, Lord, wonders that would not, we would not believe if it were told them to us so great they are that, oh, Lord, hearts would be changed, lives turned around, people all over this area, people, Lord, on the Letzum estate, people living on Camberwell Grove, people, Lord, who now are in blindness and darkness and ignorance, hearing the voice of the Son of God and living. Oh, Lord, our God, we have come here to call on your name. We have come as the people of God to ask together that you would do these things, for you are great and your mercy endures forever. And the redeemed of the Lord say so. We say so, Lord God. Come in your mercy. Come in your power. Let us see your great salvation perfectly restored in you and in us, changed from glory into glory. O Lord, have mercy. O Lord, hear our prayer for Jesus' sake. 